Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. What do we do when we have three questions that are all worth answering, but none of them are really its own show? Yeah, that means it's time for a grab bag. Oh, <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. All righty. Uh, then it's the uh, May grab bag. Grab. May I grab your bag? Oh, no. (laughs) Cue music. And welcome to another episode of Panda's Talking Games. I am your host, Phil, who likes to grab bags. <laughs> and, I, and I am your other host, Senda. I don't know what to do with that one. <laughs> Answer honestly. I, it's too much innuendo. I can't, I can't sort it out fast enough on the fly. Well, I now. Can't do it. Um, <laughs> we should probably just move along from that awkward opening. <laughs> Anyway, tonight we're going to answer hopefully three questions, unless we go really long, in which case it'll end up getting split up. But our first question comes to us from John on the forums, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So there's a bunch to it. Bear with me. Here we go. You ready? I am ready. Yes. Okay. There are a number of games that provide some sort of resource or currency for players when they make an in-character decision or action that fits their character but makes their life harder slash the character to uh, the situation more interesting. Ooh, I skipped a line. Also, when a GM encourages a character to act in a certain way, perhaps due to a flaw or a trait, um, or when the GM makes the situation more... I Wow, I have failed to read this entirely. Am I going to have to edit this episode? Because I'm going to try that again. <coughs> Also, when a GM encourages a character to act in a certain way, perhaps due to a flaw or trait, or the case of a GM intrusions where a player slash character gets rewarded when the GM makes the situation more difficult. Thinking of games like Fate, Cypher System, Burning Mill, etc. as matching some or all of these. Cool. Yes. Sometimes these decisions slash intrusions impact more than just the character getting rewarded, though. They might derail a goal for the entire table, for instance. This can cause frustration. How would you handle these frustrations as a player or a GM? Or is this a symptom of a mismatch between player preferences and game style? Okay, so first as a bunch. So first yeah. of all, I believe on misdirected mark we addressed this mechanic. Yes. Um, so specifically we're talking In economies, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about things like um we're talking about things like the fate compel, the GM intrusion from the cipher system, the flaws from Savage Worlds and and those kinds of things, right? So we're talking about mechanics where um a player gets a reward for allowing something about their character to make the scene more complicated. Yes. Right. And then, so then the larger question is, well, what happens um, if in doing so it has made it more complicated for everyone? Or, or for more than just that one player. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For everyone, yeah. for who, like somebody for else, et cetera. Somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Boy, there's a number of things that we kind of need to tackle in this, right? Um, so one of these things um, is definitely expectation setting, 
right? As hinted to in the question. Yes, it is. And because because when these games are played, like there is an expectation that like this could happen. Like any of these flaws or traits could come up at any time at the table specifically to make things more difficult. And that's why they're there. Right. Um, so, so setting expectations and just understanding how the game works is going to be the first part of this. Yeah. Um, part of this is also going to be a system slash GM mastery thing. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of knowing, uh, the art of how to engage these mechanics and when to engage them as, as not to, um, as not to create problems when tensions might be running high. Yeah. Like, like, like compels aren't always the best thing, like in the middle of the climactic battle scene. I, I'm not saying there isn't a time to use them. There absolutely is. But by and large, um, but by and large, like your safer compels are in like little side scenes. They're in personal arcs. They're in like the early investigation phases, like, you know, where you're doing like, like, you know, like you're looking around and looking for clues and stuff like that. Like when stakes and tensions are lower, like that's a better time to kind of hit with one of these things. Yep. Does that, I, I, does that make I sense? Agree. Yep, yep. I was I was sitting here thinking about my experience mostly as a player just to 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 kind of line that up and like that is definitely when I'm most excited to take them. Because there's there's also a trust situation, right? Oh, like there's, I mean, we're going to have to get to the trust tr- situation yes. with Okay, should I leave that? Are you coming to it? If you will put a pin in it for just 2 seconds, I'll okay. finish this thought we'll go right over it. to trust. Okay, cool. Okay, so yeah, the other part of this is that you got to think of you got to think of these economies, right? The ebb and flow of these economies um as also kind of the um almost in a way like the beat structure of a story, right? Like you want to make things complicated and give players I, I'm gonna just use fate as an example, right? You want to sure. compel and give fate and give players fate points um in the rising action of the story so yes. that when they reach the climax, yes, they're they're kind of loaded for bear and they can do yes. some pretty like they can do some pretty awesome things. Um, and if you're playing yeah. Savage Worlds, that's absolutely what you want to do is like. Right. You want to you want to stack up on the bennies. Yeah, you, exactly. You want to load up on those bennies heading into the climactic scenes. Um, and then uh, the last thing. Nope. I'll save that. I'll, I'll save. I'll save the. Um, I'll save that. I'll save that point that I'm going to make about um, spreading the love or spreading the reward. So we'll do that after truth. So but, we'll do that after. Right. Yeah. So again, so just to kind of recap, right, there's a little bit of GM mastery about knowing when to engage these things. And it has a little to do with kind of the, the um, pacing of your game. Right. So, so it, it's even when you say GM mastery in this particular case, it's less specific rules mastery and more, generalized storytelling beat structure mastery. It's really both, right? So because it's, it's knowing where you are in the story, but knowing how to engage the rules properly in those to make the beats happen. Yeah. So there's like, it, it, there's a, there's a little bit of both going on. Right. So the, the trust thing goes hand in hand with that, which is that, um, I, as a player need to trust that in taking this compel, because, I want to take the compel. Like, 
you know, and, and I know that's not all players, right? Me personally, I love when things are more complicated. So I, I want to take that compel. But I need to know that even though you're making the situation more complicated for me, the player, you're not doing it to like, get back at me or like specifically screw me over, but that you are also interested in what cool thing happens when the situation is more complicated, right? So there's also a GMing style and a table trust slash culture situation that has to happen with that um, to make that kind of thing work. Because if I, the player, think that you are truly just trying to screw me over, um, probably not going to want to take that compel. And eventually I'm going to be forced to take that compel. But like, depending on the mechanic, there may come a point where like, I, the player, don't actually have a choice. Or with GM intrusions, I may not have a choice, right? Um, and that can be um, the beginning of the frustrations, right? And, and that's even if we're just talking about a single player. But the question is really about what about when me accepting that compel also affects the player sitting next to me? And I think the key part of the actual question here, and it goes back to what I was just saying when you don't have a choice, right? The player next to me did not consent to this intrusion. I did, right? Because I said, it's about my character. Um, cool. I accept the fate point. And they're like, I really don't want this thing to happen to my, my character, <laughs> right? Like, okay. Yeah. So, um, and I think this is what you were about to get to. Yeah. So, so there may need to be a couple of social conventions, right? Like maybe a little house ruling to get into this, right? So one of them is the idea that um, that if somebody else is integral to the scene, that that they like they could also have the ability to to like you know say no or whatever, um, right? Right? Because that and that's they should the also that's the consent part. But they should also share in the rewards for having to deal with a more difficult situation if it's directly affecting their character. Well, and right? so that is the flip side of this, right? So, yes. so first of all, we should always um, we should always take consent into account, right? Yeah. So, uh, like, I try, um, I try very hard to um, hit up a lot of compels when characters are alone. Yeah, when it doesn't really. It doesn't directly affect other characters. Correct. It may yeah. indirectly so, affect them through the play of the story. The story but going to affect them. Yeah. But that's but, like that's different. Let's set this up for the sake of clarity, right? Mm -hmm. The difference between this is I'm in a room by myself and I I you know, you compel my like curiosity killed the cat, right? So I open the 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 trap door that I know probably leads to the haunted basement. Sure. And something happens, right? And the other players hear a scream. Yep. Okay. Cool. Fine, right? But like that's that's a thing that happened directly to me. Right. Um now also if, we if need the, to take the oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say was now gonna <laughs> Boy, we don't have notes tonight, y'all. <laughs> so what I'm what I think is important here is that we've all agreed to play this game and we all know that this is a mechanic that comes up in the game. Yes. Right? So so when you're alone and I compel you to go do something that gets you into more trouble, like other players can't be I don't want to say can't be, shouldn't be super mad about that because that's how this game is played. And if you don't like how this game is played, then this may not be the right game for you. Right. right. And that's totally fine. Now, that's a separate situation of you 
and you and um, Professor Fox are in a room. Yes. And I compel your curiosity kills the cat and you pull a lever and now the walls start closing in on the two of you and both right. of you may be killed. <laughs> or I push the button and the trap door underneath her opens. Yes. So in those. Right. Like <laughs> right so in those cases, in those cases, your action while you got compelled for it, has yes. directly, and I think that's the key word here. Directly and negatively. Directly yeah. and negatively um, impacted another character. Now. Yes. So the first part of this we just said was um, there can always be an option to, um, there can, there, there can always be an option to, um, to say no. Uh, another thing you can do as a GM and I don't think this is cheating, is like I could compel you to go pull the lever, right? Uh-huh. But Professor Fox might be like, oh, no, no, no. And I'll be like, cool, make me an athletics check to, right. like, to stop, right? Like to stop right. you before you pull it, right? Because you was, I still compelled you. You were going to go pull the thing. But yeah. I've given the person in the room... An opportunity yes. to intervene. That, that's another yes. solution. Right. And then lastly, the final solution is, and this was actually my um, solution for um, Cypher. And I'll talk about Cypher in a second. The other one is you could just reward both of them. Like, yes. well, you yep. pulled the thing and now you both fell down the, like you both fell in the pit. Like here's a fate point for each of you. Yeah, you both get points because you both experience the negative consequences. Right. So Cypher has this weird mechanic where when you do like a GM intrusion on a player, um, you intrude and then you give them an XP and then they give one other player at the table for no uh, no for no uh, reason. Hmm. Um, they just it give just them an XP, do. which is nice, okay. right? It's just nice. Um, okay. But in a three-player game like I was playing, like that means that every time somebody gets an intrusion, one person isn't getting an XP. Just one person isn't getting an XP. Right. That's sad. And 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 so <laughs> I, I just in general don't like, I in general don't like the one extra XP rule. So the first house rule we made for Cypher was if I take a GM intrusion to complicate the story by like by directly intervening into the narrative, everybody gets an XP. And that was a really easy fix. Like, that yeah. was a really easy way to say, like, look, the, the mechanics of this game allow me at various times in the game to intercede and make things more complicated. I can have a wall crumble. Um, I can have, you know, all sorts of, like, things happen in the moment that are unexpected. I could have, I could have an extra monster, like Kool-Aid Man, into the, like, into mm. the scene, right? But my oh, like yeah oh yeah oh no um, <laughs> oh no <laughs> so my um my philosophy for it was like look when the heavy hand of the GM presses down on the game everybody gets a reward yeah and and my players took to that in two seconds like that was a very easy um that was a super easy solution to the problem um because everybody got a reward for it and and really yeah, like and really no, that's what everybody this wants. sucks. Yeah, this situation just got harder, but I got rewarded for experiencing this harder situation. Cool, now everybody's happy. Versus like, <laughs> oh, I pulled the lever and I'm standing here like, ooh, how fun, the lever opened a trap door and Andy is falling to her death. 
you know, maybe Andy doesn't feel so good about that if she didn't also get rewarded for it. Well, and then I think we need to go back Being to in that situation. We need to go yeah. back to the trust thing, which is, and and this is a thing I have always told players when um, I'm teaching fate, like to new players, is like, yeah, uh, my compel is not going to. It's not going to murder you. It's not going to murder gonna you. Like you're it's dead. not going to derail any of your progress or anything like that. Yeah. The the goal of the compel is to make things more interesting by making things more complicated. Yeah. So compels. So when it comes right down to it, like this was a drastic example, like the you know like pull the lever, sure. someone dies kind of situation, just to really illustrate um, the kind of situation that we're talking about. But the about. walls closing in is a reasonable one yeah, because that's still like a... the closing in is a reasonable one. You still have time to react. Exactly. And you're still going to do stuff in that room, yeah. right? So in that case, maybe the, like, so in that case, uh, there are, here's how, here's the branching things I would allow to happen. One, I would allow Professor Fox to pay off the compel. Yeah. Right, yeah. like if, if if Professor Fox was like, oh no no no, like, here's a fate point, go away, I'm GM. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to stop you from even thinking about that. Right. Yep. I would allow I'll that. Pay it. Yep. Uh, number two, I would definitely allow a check. Like I might have like, okay, well you're reading the hieroglyphics, Professor Fox. You know, while Send is walking around the room. You know what? Do me a favor. Make me a quick observation check. <laughs> like So that she might catch my finger just yes. drifting down to the giant button that says do exactly. not push. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, <laughs> you like and you grab her by the wrist before she activates the trap. Right? Right. So that's a compel plus because here's there's the thing. People be like, well, but what was the complication? Well, now now like the reading of the hieroglyphics has been derailed and has to be restarted. Yeah. Right? So time has and the been walls- lost. Could still start closing in if yeah. she didn't succeed, right? Because there's oh, yeah. also interest in the, like, diving across the room. No! And then, you know, I push the button anyway. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> so I would allow the check. So I would allow the buy off of the compel. I'd allow the check. And then um, uh, I would allow a veto, right? Like, if a player was like, oh, like, this is uncool. Like, maybe neither player has um, points. I would allow that. And then finally, the other one, which I would be comfortable with, is just being like, um, well, she pushes the button. Uh, here's the fate point for each of you. Yeah. Any one of work. those is actually a valid yeah. solution yep. to yeah. them. And you probably, as we tie off this question, um, really just need to have, like, if you're playing a game where you have this mechanic and you're not familiar with it, it's worth having a little discussion about just that situation. Yeah. What and, happens? and what convention would you like to have for that? Like if everybody co- is everybody comfortable, just everybody gets, you know, everybody involved in the scene gets the reward. Right. And, that, and also anyone that it directly affects can pay off the compel because mm-hmm. that's a con- that's a fixes a lot of the consent issues or I mean, that was a very fate specific example because there's not always ways for to pay that off. But, you know, yeah, I mean, like, the idea. like in the I mean, in the case of Cypher, right, there's no um, no, actually, there's no stopping you, really. Is not there? really. I don't think so. I think the GM can just pay that. I mean, you could X card it if it was a safety issue. Sure. But. OK. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a good. Cool. Good. Yeah. Good first question. Cool, cool. What's our next question? Our next question comes from Ryan, who is Lord Neptune on Twitter. Boy, I was just on his podcast. It was temporarily my podcast. Just, just so y'all know, you can go seized, hear me on a, for a long time because we recorded for a long time uh, on the character creation cast. So if you want to hear way too much of me, you can. 
Um, anyway, Ryan said, hey, pandas, uh, have you covered how to play with a bunch of GMs who run the same systems a tad differently from one another? My friends and I used to play slash run Heroes Unlimited and generally rotated GMs in the same mega campaigns, but our GMing styles were fairly different. Curious as to your thoughts on how to be a good player when the GM is doing things a different way than what you would do, um, parenthesis, avoiding backseat GMing, etc. Okay, so we got we to gotta tease apart two things here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this situation one is pretty common um, yes. where a group of people run a game and they rotate GMs. That's cool. Yep. That's cool. I've done that. I, I haven't done, I haven't done that a ton, but I've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so, Andy and I did that. We had a shared world. We had a shared overarching plot plan. We had everything. That's oh great. yeah. Yeah, no, totally cool. So I want to tease apart two parts of this. The first one is um, mechanically. Mm-hmm. So are, is everybody running the game mechanically the same? Because if they're not, like, let's have that discussion. Um, yeah. You know, and, and again, the example that Ryan used was Heroes Unlimited, which Ooh. I will tell you, um, <laughs> it's no champions, but it's no walk in the park either. Um, right. So there are definitely times when people could interpret rules differently. It, it's definitely possible that people like, I mean, I played Palladium, I think, incorrectly for most of my teen years, but <laughs> liked my incorrect play better than the actual play. Yeah, you um, know. <laughs> so, so the thing is, if you have a group of GMs and you're rotating through and not everybody's using the rules the same, that could be pretty jarring, right? Yeah. So the best thing you can do in that case is to just um, put your, like all of you put your opinions in the pot and come up with a standard methodology for running the game. Like, you know, Hey, we're all going to use this house rule or, Hey, none of us are using this house rule or, you know, Hey, let's all just be clear. This is how initiative works. Like this is how dodging works, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and get everybody on the same on page. Yeah. Because I think that one. And maybe write it down if this is a long ongoing campaign where there might Google be something. Doc. Yep. There might be something that like you figure it out at the beginning and then you forget about it for six months yep. and then it suddenly comes up again 100%. and you have a reference sheet. Right. hundred percent. Just open up a Google doc. Every GM has, a- every GM has access to it. It's, it is your gaming conventions. Now, if you're running this thing off on your own, you run it your own favorite way with your own house rules or whatever. But when you run it in the mega group, you know, in the circle of GMs, everybody <laughs> runs it with, everybody runs it in this configuration. And, and that just creates, that's the McDonald's effect, right? So, and, you know, anywhere I go in the world and I order, you know, cheeseburger at McDonald's, I get a cheeseburger, right? Like it's the, it's that, it's that same experience. Yeah. Okay. That's the first part. And I think that one's relatively easy to address, which is we all, we all agree. We all come to consensus on the rules that we're going to play with. Yeah. The next part is GM style, which Ryan references in the question. Yes. Which is a whole different can of worms, isn't it? Because you can't really ask a GM to change their GMing style. Like I have tried to run things in the style of other people's games and it doesn't work. <laughs> no, I will say this, right? So when it comes to GMing style, um, I don't think there's really much you can do about it. Um, other no. than other than if the GM is just trying to like break genre, break tropes, right? So in the case of a superhero game, they're like, you know, trying to make it ultra realistic or something like that, right? So 
as long as there's some understanding like hey we're all playing um we're all playing a silver age comic or we're all playing a 90s steel age comic like as long as you establish the genre and tone then i think you got to let gms just gm their like their way and I would take it as akin to, if, to extend the comic book metaphor, when a comic book gets picked up by a different writer. Right. Right? So yeah. the characters are the same, the setting's the same, but the new writer, like, they got, like, they got different ideas for, like, mm-hmm. how this thing's going to go. And, you know, the, the way one writer writes, you know, the Fantastic Four is very different from how another one writes the Fantastic Four, but it's still the Fantastic Four. And, yeah. um... Same thing with the Avengers, right? Like the Avengers, the X-Men, like they've all had writers over the years for different things. Uh, and people have favorites, right? I mean, like, you know, um, some people dig like, you know, like the Bendis run um, of, of the X-Men or the current run of the X-Men um, that's going on by Hickman. Um, or you might be like, I mean, I actually like Hickman's run too. But, you you know, but I'm also like, you know, classically a Claremont fan, right? But those are like... And those are tonal, right? Those are how, quote, they were GM'd. Yeah. Right? So the stories they told, the tone, the subtext, if we're using Jason Pitt's four structures, right? The subtext of of each run is different. Um, I don't think you mess with that too much. Yeah, I don't think you really can. And And part of that is, A... I think it's very difficult as a GM to try to run something in a style that is not yours, especially for a long period of time. Like if you're running the arc of a mega campaign, um, which is in itself a campaign, right? Like I, I could maybe fake someone else's style for a one shot. I certainly can't do it for a campaign. And if I did, honestly, the other thing that happens is me as a GM, I'm not actually having fun necessarily because I'm not getting to do the things where I may not be able to get to do the things or all of the things that I get out of running a game, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's well, no, like, nobody wants to do, nobody wants to, like, take the, um, you know, the seat at the table and then specifically be like, okay, but I can't do these five things that I really like doing. Yeah, I mean, like, if, for instance, like, one person's, like, you know, one person's specialty is running, like, really kick-ass um team on team combats and so like when they're the gm like you're fighting you know you're fighting you know the masters of evil you're fighting like one big team after another and it's awesome and then the next player comes in and it's still superheroes and you're still having superheroes fights but they are like way more about um secret identities and the messy lives of of superheroes or whatever like i would say in this case you embrace that like yeah like just turn in and just like like turn into it and just embrace the idea that like hey we're going to take these characters through some like we're each going to have a chance to kind of interpret the world for these characters yeah and and one of the things that we're going to gain from this experience and passing the gm seat around is specifically seeing the world through these different lenses and these characters through these different lenses yeah there's a um Uh, What is it? There's a comic book series. It it, it was a short-lived comic book series, which um, I adore, um, called Global Frequency. And one of the key things to Global Frequency is that uh, while the writer 
remained the same throughout like the 12 issues. Uh, every issue had a different artist. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. and so every issue looks different. Yeah. Um, and some of them have like, um, you know, like real anime comic book style, like just, you know, like really traditional comic book style looks. Some of them are a little more um, sketchy and abstract, like, but the idea was like each artist kind of took the story and interprets it, yeah. um, it you know, expresses it with their style. Yeah. And I would say you just embrace that with GMing as well. You just embrace everybody's style. As long as, once again, it's not trying to break genre, harm anyone, or anything like that. Yeah. And I think, to speak specifically to the backseat GMing part, I think that the thing that really um, helps with that, in particular, backseat GMing, um, is having had the mechanics conversation, right? Like, so that that mechanical stuff is all on the same page and then acknowledging that stylistically you're here to enjoy a different type of story mm -hmm. than the one that you might be telling because now you're just talking about narrative decisions instead of having, um, you know, debates about rules at the table. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally down with that. I think that's... I think I, I think that would actually, in some ways, could be a lot of fun. It actually seems pretty cool. Like I'm kind of like I would want to pass the jamming seat around maybe more often, right? Like because I actually think it'd be cool to like flip that lens around faster. Yeah. To like contrast things. Um, that's just cool, and it's it's interesting. Like in my group, we tend to pass the jamming seat around constantly. But we don't run the same game over and over. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I rarely, I rarely do it as well. And um, I, I think it might be kind of fun to. Yeah, it's a kind of fun. It's kind of fun thought experiment. It'd be interesting to get together a bunch of people who are comfortable either doing short planning or kind of improving from what exists, and then doing like getting like you know four or five people at a table and being like we're all going to GM this game, and then everybody GMs one session. Yeah. Right, like you just literally pass it around the table one each and just like see what happens. <laughs> It'd be like the gaming GMing version of the improv oh, game I'll, where you no, do I'll one tell you word the game. I'll tell forth. you the game you do it with. Oh, what game? Star Trek. Ooh, because then episodically it makes Because different directors. Yeah. There's always been different directors on Star Trek, and they all come in with, you know, different stories and their own ways of shooting them and stuff like that. And um there you go. and you wouldn't know wouldn't even blink at that. Oh, it'd be so easy to just have like a and and in a large like in a circle of um GMs, like it would be easy to have a rotating staff of character, a troop of characters, because yeah. as one person picks up a GM spot somebody just you know picks up like another bridge crew member yes <laughs> like we just really, don't you could, take you could just you could just do that for years yeah you, just... like we're just not taking phil's character on the away mission right this mission right like because phil's gming z finally gets their time in the spotlight <laughs> right kick paris out of that kick paris out of that chair anyway um all of that aside oh yeah do, do you think we covered that one do you think oh i think I, I i think we covered it i i i feel comfortable we talked about mechanical and and gming style and i'm, I'm I, that was the two things i wanted to touch on 
Cool, cool. All right. So we got one more question tonight. And that question uh, came to us from um, Tony Ruback in the Slack room, um, our Patreon Slack. Um, and they said, got a question for pandas. What are some best practices for gaming one-on-one, whether using things like NBA Solo Ops or Cthulhu Confidential or Standard Games? How can we help players get unstuck and progress the story when they don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of? So many, 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 many years ago. Yeah. Like two, yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> like two or before three. pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Which two or means three. eons ago, right? Yeah. Like after Skill Monkey and um, I oh. forget what the. Yeah, well, I forget what skill, the. Oh no, something man in Skill Monkey. Oh dear. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, no. some of our past listeners will know. Smash Man? Something? Uh, I don't know. Oh, somebody tell us. We've forgotten our own characters. Um, At one point, we toyed around with the idea of doing some one-on-one AP. Um, I think we were all just kind of uh, in amazement of the mini APs that the gauntlet was doing. And we like no. toyed with the idea of like doing them on no, the we show. Actually, and it never, we did them. We, I mean, we actually did several of them. We did. We did, but like, it never really took, um, and people, yeah. and people weren't really here for that. Um, no, people came for the talky parts or the laughy parts, so which is okay. They um, came for the beefness. <laughs> but a while ago, we did the whole thing on one-on-one play um, and some of the challenges. And so um, you can definitely go in back and look for that episode. I don't know if we'll remember which one it was, but just, yeah, I don't you, know. Know, you know what? Start at one, listen, just like work your way forward, <laughs> work your way forward. You'll find it eventually. Um, but to go back to the actual question, some of the challenges on one-on-one play, um, and this gets into um, the like this gets into idea facilitation, right? So, yeah. um, one of the challenges when you're playing one-on-one is that um, you don't have other players to bounce ideas off of, uh, and you also not only don't have um, other players to bounce ideas off of, but you don't you also don't have other players to feed ideas when you are tapped out, right? Like one of the things that we talked about in that episode is that when you do one-on-one play, um, the spotlight's on your character the whole time. Always, Yeah, there is no, there is no downtime. Right. There's no, like in a regular game, you're in the spotlight, some fraction based on the number of people at your table, like one fifth of the time, you know, not, that's not completely accurate because, you know, multiple scenes, multiple people in scenes, whatever. But the idea being that, you know, you're not always under the gun. You're not always the one that needs to have a solution, right? If you are having a slow moment um, and, you know, Bob across the table comes up with the solution for how to break into the prince's, um, into the prince's uh, bedroom, uh, then you're just like, uh, yeah, let's do that. Like, uh-huh. I'm in support of it. But when you are playing one-on-one and you draw a blank on how to break into the prince's bedroom, where do you turn? Um, and the most obvious is you turn to the GM uh, yeah. through NPCs. Well, through NPCs, I, I mean, yes, through NPCs, I think is one good way to do sure. it. But I also think that as the facilitator of a one-on-one game... um. You, you don't have to play the role of the impartial moderator who is never going to hint or help the players or anything, right? Like, I don't think that it's an issue, um, especially in a one-on-one game like that, to, um, to say to someone, to, like, to notice that they're having a, 
trouble coming up with an idea. Or in my case, I will literally say like, wow, I have no idea what to do with this situation. Um, and, and for the GM to say something like, cool, what if there was like, um, you know, a big rusty lock on the door and you could see that it was sort of loose, right? Like, I, I can give you, me as a GM, I can give you ideas about ways that I think might be interesting solutions and you can take and do or run or be inspired by um, that can be, they could be NPCs who are then interacting with you to give you thoughts or ideas or whatever, but they also could just be me manipulating <coughs> the world to give you cool things to feed your creativity, right? Um, and so, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... I think it's really key in a one-on-one -on -one game when it is a game of facilitator and player. I think it's really key to remember um, in those situations because there is a little bit of power dynamic that it is still on both of the people playing the game to tell a story together. And I think it's more important in those circumstances because you don't have anyone else to rely on. And because frequently, especially if you're playing a game that's not necessarily like pointed specifically at solo play, it may not have a lot of tools to assist you in creating that shared like collaborative space so it's really important to just remember that that's what you're doing and be very intentional about it especially as a gm like it is just not the place for a combative gming style um it is the place for collaboration so that you know if there aren't any npcs in this scene i the gm can still help you out right because we're here to tell this cool story together in the most interesting way possible um and it's really interesting to me because um, for some reason, it is harder in that situation where it's like there's a GM and then like the spotlight shining at the one character at all times versus which really interesting because one of my favorite types of games to play are in fact two player games that are just two players, you know, don't have a facilitator, but have the same sort of intimacy of storytelling collaborative experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's worth taking like that, that really shared narrative space and applying it when you are a facilitator player in that situation as two people. Um, I tried to do some TikToks about this a while ago, actually, but like 60 seconds did not do it. I could not. Oh. I don't even possibly know how, I, I don't know how I don't know how I could do anything in a TikTok. Like I, I can barely define my terms and like I couldn't. <laughs> like it took me two and I barely got through anything because I was trying to explain like, you know, two player games in that collaborative narrative space. Um and it is it is yeah. So I I guess that's for me what it would come down to is remembering that it's a shared narrative collaborative space and that I as a GM have just as much responsibility for keeping the story moving forward and keeping the ideas flowing as a player does. So it is not on me to tell the story and then to react to the story. When you've only got two people, you both got to kind of both do everything. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I will go back to what I said before about using um, some NPCs, right? Because a yes. nice way to kind of help, like, so everything that you said is absolutely true. At a meta level, you can just totally between two, like player and GM, have that discussion, solve it and, and continue on in the game. Totally legit, totally valid way to play. We're in game um, even, but, but yes. Right. But the way, well, the way you do it in game is you do it through NPCs, right? So if your solo game is Sherlock, then the GM is playing Watson. 
Yeah, sure. Right. And Watson then becomes a tool by which um, I can help move things along. You can um, feed information that maybe the player isn't picking up on. I, just I can provide a piece of or, insight or ask yeah. a question. Right. So um, it's so the thing to consider is that um, when you look at like these solo games, these I shouldn't say solos, these one on ones. And if you look at them in terms of kind of like matching them up to movies, right? If you look at like a James Bond movie, James Bond is never alone. Yeah. Right? He's like not. He, it's like, definitely a one-on-one game. It's right? a one-on-one game, but there's <laughs> Felix is kicking around and Q is somewhere. And yep. like, right? So like there's, so there's always going to be for that like solo hero there's always going to be like a support system. Yeah. There's always going to be the guy in the van or the guy in the chair. If you like, so the guy in the van, if we go back to true lies, the guy in the chair for um, Spider-Man um, homecoming, but y- you would, you want to build, you want to build your campaign such that you, you've built in NPCs that are going to be persistent Mm-hmm. That will stay with the character to be the conduit for when you want to do those things in game. And again, yes. sometimes you won't want to do it in game. Sometimes you'll just have that discussion um, at the metal at, at the you know care at the at the person the people level. But other times when you want to do it in game, um, you want to have those tools. You, your Sherlock has a Watson. Um, your um, your wandering knight has a squire. Yes. Right, that like, or a bard that follows you around and shows up. <laughs> yeah, like you know, like like those kinds of even like I mean, even Xena had you know Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, although I I mean was it Gabriel? Gabriel, they, like I don't know. And I loved her, and I, I over the course of that series, I think of her less as a sidekick and more of a her own protagonist. But then there were like there was like there were a host of other characters that would show up right along along the way. I will admit to you, honestly, I only watched Xena over at one specific friend's house. So I have only seen like a weird smattering of episodes and have no concept of how the show goes as a whole in any way, shape or form. Let me tell you, (laughs) you will enjoy this show and we should someday watch it um, because it's fantastic. It is. um, Well, We'll do that in the we'll we'll get to that in the bamboo lounge. Um, okay, so I think we've actually covered this topic pretty well, which is um, one: don't be afraid to have that. Don't be afraid to have that quote meta level conversation. Just have it, like Senda said. Um, and two: if you don't want to um, break immersion, then establish NPCs that can provide advice, so that you have a method in game to be able to have that conversation because you can have that converse you can have this conversation when you're stuck in two levels gm and player can have that conversation talk about what to do to resolve it and then keep moving or the player could be talking to their sidekick associate um uh what's called npc and they're having that same conversation but only within the context of the story 
And it's interesting. I, so the thing that I will say is having played actually quite a few games like this, because um, on Sass Geek, Andy and I played quite a few games. Sure like you this. did. And with both of us in the GM seat and both of like, we flipped back and forth a bunch, right? And we did both of these things a ton, constantly, mm-hmm. frequently on the mics. Sometimes we cut the meta level stuff out of the mics because sometimes the meta level stuff was like, okay, we've been recording for two hours. We need to find a resolution, right? Like, sure. We need to we land this, this to thing end? right here. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do we get there? Um, and, and it is okay. It's okay to do that even when you're not recording. It's okay to even pause and say, um, I would really like to get to this point, you know, at a meta level and get there. Um, and that's totally okay. It's also totally okay to stay immersed in the game and fix it in a in in character way, right? Mm-hmm. All of those things are great. Yeah. But basically, be collaborative and tell a story together. Yeah. Just keep. I mean, you're not. You're not. It's even though it's just you and the GM. It's still not adversarial. Yeah. Also, a last note to this before we wrap it up. Sure. Also, um, and we said this in this ep- We said this in the in the episode as well. Seriously, look at the system that you're going to use for this. Um, yeah, make sure it's one that isn't going to hurt your solo player, like just because they're alone. Like, make sure it's not one that's going to ding them for not having a party of five. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. 100% on that, right? Um, 100%. And, you know, if you need to, um, I just wrote this whole article um, last month in Gnome Stew about how to play without certain roles or niches in your game, right? You can you can always, you know, modify your game a little to fill in some of those things. Um, for instance, and again, this goes right back. And now, and as soon as I make this shameless plug, we do yep. have to end the show. We do. Um, you, you if, you were, if you were to, if you wanted to play one-on-one Dungeon World. Uh-huh. And we're concerned about not having all the roles present. There uh-huh. is a supplement uh-huh. that you can purchase called the Legacy Weapon. It's really good. Um, which is designed <laughs> for exactly this purpose, which allows um, a character to wield a weapon that has the weapon has past lives and confers upon the wielder different abilities from different playbooks. Yep, it's a playbooks thing. being its past lives. It's actually really, really cool, and it's very fun, and potentially lets you proud, play a, a lot of different of characters. One. Yeah, no, it's it's really neat. It's yeah, a really neat little supplement. That, that was a fun. That was a fun supplement Shit. to make, and a fun supplement to play test. Anyway, yeah. when we start making shameless <laughs> plugs of our own product, <laughs> it is time for us to conclude the grab bag, um, and get moving towards the conclusion of the show but in order to do that first you got to tell me about another show on the Mistractor Mark Network. Yeah, I'm going to tell you tonight about Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. On Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives, in, deep dives, wow, into the dark sun setting and discuss it across all of the editions of D&D. I hear there are cactuses. I I don't know if I know that Sometimes for real. Sometimes, unless a wizard casts a spell and they all die. <laughs> what? Now? What now? What? That's called a defiler. Wow. That's a that's a wizard that every time they cast magic, it kills living things around them. And so they literally contribute to the uh, desert by every time they cast, they kill vegetation. Wow. That sounds intense. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Dark Sun's, a lo- Dark Sun's awesome. <laughs> 
Dark Sun's think, awesome for th- for that reason and so many more reasons. I mean, the funny thing is, this is way off topic, and I will say it, and then we will finish concluding this show. Um, I have one of the original Dark Sun setting books in my drawer for like a really old edition of D and I don't even remember. Probably second. Edition. Probably second. Probably edition. second edition because I used to work with the gentleman who wrote a bunch of the monsters. <laughs> well, that's cool. It was pretty cool. He used to come in and see me um, when I taught people how to use their computers. He was delightful, and he brought me dice and, and a bunch of old D&D supplements that he had worked on, which oh, that's was very cool. kind of him. They're super neat. I just have them. Yeah, no. Have them in my drawer. I, I, I'm going to have to take a look next time. Speaking of collecting versus playing games. Anyway. Anyway, Senda. Yeah. How do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. Or you can drop us an email, panda.misdirectedmark.com. Or you can find us both on the Tiki Talkies if you would like to have the audio of your question played back to you upon our podcast. Um, we haven't forgotten you, Karen. It was just such a good question. We still haven't answered it yet. <laughs> Karen, that question requires work. It requires we not really research. Been in a, we don't we even have, have really notes been in a tonight. research place. Oh, man. Yeah. But it was a good question. Anyway, good. Okay. Um, and once they have found us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? Yeah. you Just like uh, our three questions tonight, just send us a question, a topic, something you want to hear us talk about. Um, don't. Like, don't even worry. Like, we'll figure out how to turn it into something listenable. But what we really want is, and really the whole goal of this show has been from the get-go, is that we want to share our ideas with you in hopes that it will help your games to be more better fun. More fun, more better. More fun, more better. <laughs> um, that's really the whole goal here. Is to make uh, is 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 that if you have a question about a thing, we assume like we can just assume other people do too. So if there's anything that we can from the like ridiculous amount of years that um, combined the two of us have been gaming, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean sheer decades of <laughs> years between the two of us for GMing that we probably have an idea about whatever uh, at least a, a thought or two on whatever your topic is. We want to do that. And we want to help you. So, and then, you know, for the rest of you, we're hoping we're just entertaining. Okay. So if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, please consider supporting the Patreon campaign. Patrons get access to the Bamboo Lounge, of which we'll be talking about Xena in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, The Misdirected Mark After Show. uh, They get uh, let, we, we lift up the curtain and invite them into the Slack room our Slack community. Um, I love our Slack community. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's been like a, I don't know, like a oasis, a shelter during these, um, during this pandemic. Um, and, uh, I love hanging out with those people and we have Friday lunches together on zoom. Um, it's really just delightful, just all around delightful. So anyway, um, you get access to all those things. Um, and your patronage keeps the lights on, uh, here in the Mistructed Mark Network, I I don't know. I mean, that's it's really important to us. Like, yeah, we like having mi- lights, and microphones, and, software, hosting you know. costs, backups. Like, like it it costs. It, it it's not it's not free to to do all of this, and so um, your support makes it possible. And um, for that, um, we are very thankful for all of your support. Now, 
if you are a patron of the show, thank you very much. If you are unable to be a patron of the show, totally understand. There's still a thing you can do to help us. Uh, you know it. I know it. We don't even have to beat around the bush. If you listen to us, you will love us. <laughs> Tell people, not that they haven't heard it before, but just remind them real quick. How can they help with that effort? Yeah, you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice because every new review we get really does actually help new people find the show, which is great. And uh, thank you so much to everybody who's already left a review. We really, really super appreciate you. Or you could just tell people about us on Twitter. We really like that, too. That's been happening recently, and it just fills and my heart works. with joy. And it does. It, it works. works. And it makes my heart warm. <laughs> that has also worked. People have, like, recommended us on Twitter, and then other people have gone and listened and was like, this oh, delightful. the show's dope. <laughs> we appreciate that. Like, that's... Yeah. Help like, us with our failed SEO attempt at podcast naming. <laughs> yeah, look, whatever way you can pass us along, like, I, you know... Hand us, like, hand us out. Use our name. Like, you know, just let people know. Cool. We appreciate it. Thank you. Good. Yeah. <sighs> Say Sunda. Uh-huh. What do you tell, show me, right? Is that the word I use? Yeah, show yeah, me? yeah, yeah. We got there. <laughs> show me how we should set up a group GM'd Star Trek game. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got, hey, show me what you got, show me what you got. Bloop. Click, click, click. It's a click, click, click. But I'm not click, saying the thing that I said the other no, time. No, you already not said it. Any like, reference to the song. It was like 2:37. It wasn't that many ago. <laughs> yeah. No. Nope. Uh, not doing uh, that. Don't do the thing. Oh no. Oh no. no. Oh, no, 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 no. There was a, uh, I'll tell you really quick and then we'll jump in the show. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live this week called Gen Z Hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> Where the doctor, they, it's like a, the, the doctor's trying to talk to this group of Gen Zers using all the, you know, straight up cap, like like, like all the terms, right? Which is funny because I have a Gen Zer, you know, uh-huh. roaming through my house. And says all those things. So uh-huh. <laughs> it was quite funny. But they had a video. They, they were like, oh, well, we can show you the video of your friend getting hurt. And it was the, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Yeah. That's what made me think of it. Okay. Um, uh, we should start. Yeah, we should, we should get into this. Okay. Bloop. <laughs> May I grab your bag?